Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. If you've been listening, these podcasts are my attempt to understand what on earth is going on around me without having to display my actual ignorance in print. So, I don't know about you, but I've become really glum and, to be honest, negative about the state of cricket in South Africa. And we've clearly been relegated to the second league of cricket nations along with the West Indies, New Zealand, Zimbabwe, and Pakistan and others. And you know, let's not talk about the administration of the game. Hardly a week goes by in South Africa without some member of the executive or board of cricket South Africa isn't resigning or being caught weaving drunkenly from this from a stadium to their car. Last year, the entire board resigned. This just has to affect what happens on the field. And to find out if that's true, I've asked a wonderful cricket commentator and by a country mile easily the best cricket writer in the country, Neil Manthorpe, to help me plough through the cricket swamp. If you're not already following Neil's really excellent emails reports on the state of the game in South Africa, you absolutely should. But as we speak, you're in the UK and you've been commentating on the recent test series between India and England, in which I'm happy to say England were trounced. And I only say that because for some reason in cricket, in my, in my little world, they're the enemy. They're the people I most want us to beat. What did you think of the series and of England's performance? <laughs> Peter, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I was um, bizarrely commentating for TalkSport Radio, um, the, who asked me to commentate for them over a year ago. And the original plan, of course, was to be in India. Um, but they had the rights. Um, travel wasn't possible. So we ended up commentating from their studios in London. So I flew from Cape Town to London to commentate on a series between England and India in India. Um, which is which is a first clearly in 30 years it was a it was a terrific series um to be honest it was it's really interesting that england are prioritizing t20 cricket this year because there's a t20 world cup um and they formulated this rest and rotation policy primarily for the mental well-being and health of their players which meant that they didn't play their strongest team in the, throughout the test series um they won the first game on a really really flat pitch um which offered nothing to the bowlers um and then india thought we can't be having this and prepared some typical indian pitches which turned sideways from from you know halfway through the first morning um and then england were duly thrashed um in the next three games they played a day night test match the third game was only the the second day-night test match that they played in India, and it was over in two days. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, India are the best team in the world, in my opinion, and, and they duly and deservedly won the series 3-1. But, Neil, do the Indians... Um, I mean, I saw a lovely cartoon the other day, and it was a guy preparing the pitch for one of the games, and he was doing it with a plough. And, um, <laughs> and I just thought, you know, I mean, do the Indians... Is it, is it impossible to beat India at home? I mean, are the pitches... Can you arrange, if you're, the, if you're the host country, for a pitch to suit your strengths? You can. I mean, it takes a great deal of skill from the ground staff. Um, you know, we are dealing with an organic thing in a cricket pitch, and it doesn't always do as it's told. Or, um, but they are, I mean, you basically, you just you don't water it, um, and it's very, very dry, and the Indian spinners are the best in the world, um, and the rest of the world's batsmen don't have time or the conditions to practice facing quality spin bowling in very helpful conditions. So, I mean, England's victory in the first test match was only the third 
test match that India have lost at home, test match, not series, in the last dozen years, uh, in all, uh, 39 test matches, they've lost three at home. So is it impossible to beat India at home? Yes, at the moment, in a test series. And what about South African cricket, Neil? I mean, am I, am I being too gloomy? Well, uh, no. I mean, results and performances suggest that your, your gloom, unfortunately, is justified. Um, but on the plus side, Peter, um, South Africa produces and, and always has done more high-quality cricketers than, than any other nation, um, certainly on a pro rata or per capita basis. You know, that, that we have terrific conditions, very, very good facilities, um, which are and we're expanding now, of course, into the majority of the population. It's no longer a white elitist sport. So there will, as long as you have the conditions and the players, then there is always reason to hope, and there's also reason to believe that we're just in a a downward, uh, you know, um, not a spiral, because I, I believe that it, you know, there's it's a roller coaster. You go through good periods and bad periods, and if we look back almost 10 years to 2012 when South Africa with the pro tiers were the best team in the world. You had, you know, you, you, we didn't have a couple of once in a generation players. We had half a dozen, Graham Smith and A.B. de Villiers and Dale Stain and um, Hashim Amla, um, Jacques Callis. You know, I mean, these are, it was an exceptionally good team. Um, and, and so I believe that there's, there's three ingredients, conditions, players, and money and we have the first two the third one is a problem but you look at a place like new zealand and they don't produce cricketers they are now waiting in the world test championship final to play india they've been in the last two world cup finals um and they are enormously inconvenienced by the conditions and the lack of players i mean if you're a new zealand schoolboy or girl then you know, you, you have seven options before you even consider cricket from rugby being the primary one. But so, I mean, I hope that once the administration is sorted out, um, then uh, the roller coaster will be on the way up again with so many good players being produced and good conditions. There's still a great love for the game. It's not like it has to fight for its place in the, in the nation's attention like it does in many other countries. But yeah, right now, it's gloomy. I mean, we haven't beaten England since 2012, if I'm not mistaken, um, in, a, in, a, in a test series. Um, and I mean, there was one glorious match I remember watching in Cape Town, which is probably a bit more recent, when I think Temba Bavuma scored his first and maybe only test century um, around about 2016, 2017. But there's been nothing since. I mean, and when, when did we sort of become part of the also-ran? When did India, Australia, and, and, and England kind of take the game for themselves? Why do they play each other so much more often than anyone else can play them? The big three, yeah. Um, well, um, they, it was around about that time when they first uh, took charge. India said, um, why are we dividing... ICC revenue from world events like World Cups and T20 World Cups and the Champions Trophy as it was then. India said, why, why are we spitting revenue evenly when we generate um, over 70% of it? And India does. 
with its population of 1.3 billion and the advertising revenue and income from ICC events. Um, and England and Australia have the ashes. So they, they are the big three, and they decided to formalize that and basically marginalize the small seven of the other chess playing nations. It's now the, uh, um, it's now the, the, the small nine with Afghanistan and Ireland having test status. But um, it, it was supposedly reversed. Um, the ICC constitution, which they changed, was changed back again. But the big three have, have just said, well, that's fine, but we'll just play each other on a regular basis. And you're absolutely right. You know, your observation on the uh, future tours program and the, I mean, England are in, in India have just played four test matches. They're now playing five T20s and then three one-day internationals. And guess who England are playing in their summer, which allegedly starts quite soon, although it doesn't feel like it. But India then go to England and play five more test matches. So they're playing nine test matches back to back. And basically, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but but the the rich are, are giving putting two fingers up to, to the rest of the test player nations, including South Africa, and saying, that's fine. If we have to play each other in the future tours program, which constitutes towards a fatally flawed te world test championship, then we'll do it. But we'll play two test matches um, at the back end of the season or in the early season um, when they're less lucrative. And it it is... It is a massive, massive problem. And, of course, you know, the Ashes takes place every two years. So Australia and England um, have that to look forward to. Their calendar revolves around that. And then once you squeeze in the Indian Premier League and the other domestic T20 tournaments, uh, the in Indian Premier League is about to expand next year. They'll go from eight teams to ten teams, which means that window expands from seven weeks to ten weeks. Um, and then you've got you've got two T20 World Cups in the next two years because of the pandemic. You've got the 50-over World Cup in 2023. Well, you're left with about six weeks in the entire calendar year to fit in bilateral series. Um, when South Africa was a winning team, when the Proteas were the world uh, were world number one, and they had really well-respected players and administrators. They were able to negotiate, that was the polite way of putting it, international fixtures. Peter, I mean, I, I just think it's important for the listeners to understand that when international fixtures are negotiated, it's not a formal structure. It's negotiated by largely middle-aged to elderly men around a table who, who wheel a deal and they trade off fixtures and they'll add on a couple of extra one day internationals if you return the favor you scratch my back i'll scratch yours so the big three india australia and england are scratching each other's back to their mutual pleasure and it leaves very little opportunity for for countries like south africa sri lanka pakistan you know the small seven as you said to actually negotiate particularly if the team isn't performing if the team are not winning and are not attractive like the South African Proteas team was of 2012, then they're going to become more and more marginalised. I've painted a pretty gloomy picture, but that's the reality. Well, I mean, so in other words, what you're saying is we have to beat them in order to sort of get back up, get back to the table, as it were, where all these negotiatings, negotiations take place. We need to start beating England when we get the opportunity and beating Australia and hopefully beating India. What is... Um, 
So help me just understand a couple of things about cricket, which I've never really seen in the articles explaining why, why, for instance, does A.B. de Villiers not play for South Africa? Does he, is he past it? Is he not good enough? Um, has he lost his passport? What's the <laughs> issue? Well, the issue was, Peter, uh, he, he was, he, like many sporting geniuses, the, he had a, Mostly love, but occasional disinterest, if not hate, relationship with the game because he was playing so much of it. And he was playing the IPL um, and has played every single edition of the IPL and is paid extremely well um, for his participation in that tournament. So what is now the case around the world is that cricket boards accept that the players are going to play in the IPL. That is their primary source of income. A.B. de Villiers earns over a million dollars, which is, you know, getting on for 10 times what Cricket South Africa can pay him for the rest of the year. Um, and at the time, he had had enough, and he he, uh, he had enough of the game, and he, he needed someone. I mean, it, there was a – he came out with an expression that, you know, you I don't want to pick and choose my tours. He should never have picked and – picked and chosen his tours, it should have been done for him, as it is now. Unfortunately, he said, okay, if that's the case, then I, I can't be available. I, I, you know, if I'm not going to be arrested for certain tours, and, and let's be honest, tours are different. They're not all the same. If you go for two test matches or three one-dayers to Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or Zimbabwe, um, it's not the same as going to England to play in a, in a three or four test series against England or Australia or India, the big three. So he, he had to make a choice. He felt he had to make a, a choice because he, he just played, you know, the, a full 12 months and in fact, 10 years pretty much. And he played the IPL. He got back from, from the IPL and South Africa had a largely meaningless two test tour to Sri Lanka. And he was told, that he had to go. There was there was no there was no real reason that he should have gone on that tour, and um, he he just said, okay, if that's if that's if I have to choose between between me and my country, then I'm going to have to choose me and my well-being and my future and my family. Uh, it was as I said, you know, if it had been just three or four years later then he, he, like every other big star player around the world at the moment, would have been treated very differently. Has he gone? Yeah, I think he uh, almost certainly. I mean, it, it, never mind his age, he's 37. He's still playing as well as ever. Uh, and there is a T20 World Cup coming up in October and November. But I think he's been out of the system too long now. And I think there's a feeling amongst current players probably that it would be unfair for him to uh, walk straight back into the Proteas team. So I do think... Sadly, very sadly, um, that I mean, I'm not so sad about him missing this coming T20 World Cup. I'm sad about the last two and a half years. Yes. What What about? Um, uh, let's leave leave aside the last two and a half years, and I mean, because they're not they don't make for pretty memories. Um, but we've now just appointed um, uh, Dean Elgar as the Test side captain and Temba Bavuma as the uh, uh, captain in the two shorter forms of the game, are they are they good enough 
to and do they have the sufficient support in terms of coaching and management? Are they good enough to start a revival in our cricketing fortunes? Well, they're not. They don't have the ability as players to lead by example in the way that Graham Smith did, I don't believe. I mean, I, um, Dean Elgar is a far better than competent test match opener. Um, he's, a, he's a very, very fine uh, player, and he's been amongst uh, the best test openers uh, in the world in the last half dozen years. So, um, I, I, Peter, the, the, you know, Temba has been battling for his place, and, and there's two theories about that. You know, do you... Do you, you you either take away the 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 pressure of, of having to justify your place in the team by making him captain, so therefore he doesn't have to worry about his form anymore. I mean, obviously that can backfire, and um, you know, there's nothing worse than a captain uh, feeling that he's not worth his place in the team. I suspect that uh, that Temba Bavuma will rise to um, the occasion. He's also a, a very, very fine, fine cricketer, and I don't think we've seen the best of his uh, um, performances. I mean, it, it, you're right, as you said about a little while ago, that he, he just got the one test hundred, but he's got a couple of nineties. And I've commentated on him seven or eight times in test matches, producing match-changing and ultimately match-winning partnerships in difficult circumstances, coming in at number six. Uh, with South Africa 50 for four and soon 70 for, for six and, and, you know, adding 150 on a really difficult wicket um, in difficult conditions and circumstances in which no other batsman was scoring lots of runs. So I don't think there's anything wrong at all with his temperament. Um, he, he's the first to admit he shouldn't be averaging 32 in test match cricket after 40 test matches and he should have more than 100. But... Numbers don't always tell the truth. It's not like he was batting on flat pitches in which the team was making 400. I, I'm, I, you know, I, Graham Smith as director of cricket wasn't spoiled for choice. Um, you know, he didn't have options uh, of brilliant players who were always going to be worth their place in the team in either format. So um, there was a certain amount of expediency in the appointment of the two cat of the two players, but. Um, I have no issue at all. I, I mean, I think they're as, as good as we can hope for. I mean, they're both, in a way, um, are quite courageous players, both Elgar and Babuma. They, 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 put them, they put their bodies in line with the ball, you know. They hang their bat mm. out there. And, and uh, so that's, you know, that's, in a way, that's admirable. Um, but we seem to go out to such silly shots sometimes in South Africa, and it's... Um, it, it's kind of it's kind of depressing. What you, you mentioned, Graham Smith, and I wonder what difference we were talking about the negotiating table uh, earlier on. What difference Graham Smith has made do you, in your view as director of cricket? I mean, Graham must have um, God's own contact list in his telephone, you know, in his cell phone. I mean, he must he must be able surely to call Surav Ganguly who I think runs, um, is president of the Board of Cricket Control in India, and say to him, look, we've been let down by the Australians. Can you, you know, can you, can you come by? You know, can we do two or three tests this year later? Is it, is it that kind of relationship? Does he have these kind of relationships with people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and he's done it. He's already done it. Um, 
uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic in March last year, Graham Smith, uh, soon after he accepted the position of director of cricket, was um, shown around the offices and introduced to Cricket South Africa's bank balance. Um, and he was suitably shocked. Um, and one of the first things he did was call his old mate, Saurav Ganguly, BCCI president. And 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 it it really does work like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know my way around the world of business, so maybe I'm just being naive and may, maybe I shouldn't be shocked that that's the way cricket works because I don't picture that that's the way business works. Maybe it does. But he called Ganguly, um, against whom uh, he played eight test matches as opposite captain. They got on very, very well. They respect each other. They're both long-serving um, players. And he said, Saurav, can you come over and play three T20s? Three T20 internationals purely for entertainment's sake, not counting towards any world championship, not in the build-up to a T20 World Cup, purely as entertainment and, and Peter, that's worth $10 million to South Africa's bottom line in the t television revenue. Um, I don't know what it is now, but it was 160 million when the Rand, when the deal was agreed. I haven't kept up to date with the exchange rate, but, and, and that, that is how it works. Um, and Graham Smith, let me just say as well that the England's tour last year, the one that was curtailed when they played three T20s and then, returned home before playing the three ODIs, that almost certainly would not have gone ahead had Graham Smith not provided the gravitas um, and command the respect that he did at the negotiating table. Nobody else is is known. I mean, the, the, the shenanigans at board level at Cricket South Africa over the last two and a half years have made South African cricket a laughing stock. Actually, it's gone, it's got worse now because We've now gone from laughing stock to a complete irrelevance. I, I know because I've, you know, I've had several of the world's leading administrators have called me up and said, "What is going on? Yeah. What What is going on?" And I've had to try and explain it. But you know, when when the small seven nations are, are scrabbling for the crumbs at the negotiating at the fixture negotiating table, and they don't know anybody. And all they hear is that this person's been sacked and that president's resigned and the chief executive's on a uh, disciplinary charge. It's uh, the only person that anybody... And Jacques Fall commanded a huge respect um, as chief executive when he was in an acting position. He then resigned. Um, so it is only Graham Smith. And he's, you know, I know he's only 40 years old and he's extremely new to the administration game. But whatever... South Africans think of him at home. Internationally, he's the most capped test player. Um, and that really counts. It really counts. And I know that there is another fixture, another three-match fixture um, series being negotiated between uh, Smith and Ganguly, which hasn't yet been announced. But, you know, what, whatever Graham Smith is being paid, if he's generating 250 million rand in, in previously unforecast revenue then he's he's probably worth it isn't it interesting though neil so let's talk about the administration of the game i mean surav ganguly is a is a is a is a brilliant opening batsman for india for many years um i think Kohli has only just passed um uh the number of times he captained uh, 
uh, India um, or, or, or in Tesco. I can't remember. But why, you know, why would, how does he rise to the top of what is also, I've no doubt, a pretty stodgy uh, cricket establishment in India? Um, and why can the captain of, uh, a captain as illustrious as Graham Smith not rise to the top here? Is it because he's a white male or, or is it because cricketers have to know their place and it's down there and not up here sort of thing? There's a little bit of both, I, I suspect. Um, look, Saurav Ganguly is very good at politics, very good. He is a, he, he, you know, he, as you said, he was a very good opening batsman, but he was even better in the boardroom from a very early age. Um, and you're just hugely well-connected and a good family. I mean, you, you don't rise to the top easily in India unless you're fairly ruthless. Um, but it helps if you're a, a great cricketer. Um, and Gra Graham, Graham Smith... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, he's he, he's fairly uncompromising. Although I have to say that in the couple of years that he, in his administrative career, the beginning of his administrative career, he's shown a great deal of subtlety um, and um, and tact and patience that he perhaps didn't necessarily <laughs> as, a, as a bullish opening batsman uh, and an aggressive captain, but. He, uh, I must say that um, certainly short term, um, hopefully long term, uh, he's got a massive, massive role to play. And he's enormously passionate about South African cricket as well. Still is, you know, as he was as a 22 year old when he was appointed captain, he still has that passion and that drive. And director of cricket's an enormous job. I mean, you know, it's, it encompasses everything from the earliest age group levels, uh, you know, under 13 um Coke Week and and right up to the very very top and he's also hugely involved in the women's game, um, which is probably the the brightest light in South African cricket at the moment. The Momentum Women's uh, Pro Tiers team just won a series in India. So I I don't know whether being a forty year old white male will will count against him uh, and the fact that he's a cricketer because South Africa. Still, I think, you know, the administrative system is still antiquated and this whole idea that that you rise through club level and you become your president of your club and then you command this huge respect and then you get onto your provincial. So basically, we need, there needs to be more of a cricketing presence in the administration and more of a business presence. Yeah. So, well, is that going to happen? So at the moment, as I understand it, Neil, there's an interim board, right? One of probably the 20th interim board. There seem to be loads of interim appointments and got over. But there's an interim board at uh, Cricket SA at the moment, which is about to, whose term is about to expire. Um, there's also um, a forensic report into the management of the CEA, CSA, which took place, um, well, it, it reports on the period when I think Tobang Morwe was um, uh, CEO. He was suspended in December 2019. Um, they didn't start work on his on this report until the March. Uh, CSA has now got a copy of this report, but it won't show it to anybody. Not even the Minister of Sport can uh, see it. Not even um, Saskok has been allowed to see this report. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, but without seeing the report into what why Morwe's uh, um, administration went haywire, how do you know what to fix? 
Or do you just, just simply assume it is a poor administrator, good luck to him, good riddance, and start with a clean slate? It, has anybody, anyone got the authority to make that happen? It's got to happen. Um, I must say that the Minister for Sport uh, and Recreation, um, Nati and Tatwa, has been heavily involved and has done some really good work as far as cricket is concerned. He's been uncompromising in his belief that the interim board um, need to implement the fundamentals of the Nicholson report from 2012. The most important being there must be a majority of independent directors that the the amateurish um, nature of the administration needs to change so so that's that's a non-negotiable for, for the interim board they have to change the memorandum of incorporation of cricket South Africa to oh they you know they there's many ways to do it seven out of twelve or five out of nine directors but the majority must be independent and the chair must be independent and not affiliated to to any um province or formerly yeah. franchise uh, that that has to happen i mean there's peter the the forensic report is remains buried because cricket south africa say they fear the dangers of litigation well if the law's been broken and i understand that it has been then how long do they think they can sit on it? I mean, they, you know, if the law's been broken, if 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 people need to go to court to to be charged, then it it will happen. Um, I, I guess they're, you know, I, I mean, how do these things work? Are they just clearing their desk and trying to prepare themselves for 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 this process? To, but it it will it it will happen. I mean, the, you know, the, enough eyes have now seen the report. Who's who's stopping it? Who is? Who in Cricket SA is stopping it? It's got an interim board who are all behind the re, you know, the, the 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 move to improve the administration of the game. Who inside Cricket SA has the power to to keep this out of other people's hands? Well, Peter, I must just say um, that the full report yeah. is actually available for, for public uh, consumption. Yeah. Now you, you can read it, but but what is missing is the names. So, so, so there are there are just so so this happened and that happened and this money went missing and this credit card expenditure. So you can read the whole thing, all four hundred and sixty-three pages, if you have the time or the inclination. But but what are are missing are the key names, okay. um, and so so that's what the information that that we need. Yeah, yeah, and Neil. So for the rest of the year. Um, uh, we we I think we see Sri Lanka again. Um, I'm not sure that there is a maybe Graham Smith has been able to organise um, um, another visit either to India or from the Indians. Um, but a fairly a fairly quiet year test wise. I mean we're not going to be playing as you say India will play England or England will play India nine times in test matches and. In this year, we we don't come anywhere close, right? It's not just a quiet test year; it's the quietest test year since um, we returned to international cricket. I mean, it's um, it's it's dire; it's 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 appalling, and it was only ever going to be seven test matches anyway, yeah. with a couple against Sri Lanka, 
three against Australia, um, three against uh, uh, yeah. Pakistan, the two against the West Indies in the Caribbean or postponed. Um, yeah, it's um, it is it is desperate. I, I know that that Graham is organising as many extra tours, extracurricular fixtures as he possibly can, but you generally can't do that with test matches um you know just logistics and there are quarantine periods now and travel is so difficult and it's also quite difficult to make money out of test cricket unless you're playing one of uh, the big three so um it'll be more white ball cricket i'm afraid um which is you know fun um i'm not i'm not anti t20 internationals or, or 50 over cricket but i still do believe that test cricket is is the real thing, the greatest test, and uh, and personally, from my point of view, the greatest satisfaction to work on and to watch. Um, but very, very, very quiet, Peter. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the domestic T20 leagues, the expansion of the IPL, the attitude of uh, the big three, and, and can I just say that the pandemic has also, I mean, it, England did brilliantly to stage a full summer of cricket in these biosecure environments, but they still ended up losing. Um, almost 250 million pounds, um, despite generating the and honouring the contracts, the TV contracts. So they they made lots and lots of money, but they also, um, or they generated lots of money. But overall, they still yeah. were down. Cricket Australia have been badly affected as well. So they are looking after themselves. Couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people with Cricket Australia. I mean, is there any way that we can, um, um, other than beating them the next time we play them, extract any revenge for their? for their ridiculous cancellation of their trip here and the reasons they go well we we need to we need to get them here to beat them first um you know that that uh, um that bridge has been very 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 much burnt blown up actually it's it's um it's washed downstream wow. uh, really really bad and um It'll be rebuilt. I mean, it has to be rebuilt at some point because um, we we need to we need to cross the river. But yeah. that's not going to happen anytime soon, yeah. unfortunately. Neil, it's been a really great pleasure talking to you. And as I said, we'd give you some time to explain your weekly cricketing newsletter and how people might find it and subscribe. And even if they like, buy you a coffee. Um, Tell us, tell tell us how to tell us where you are and how to how to how to be able to read you. Oh well, um, it's manners on cricket uh, hyphenated um, manners on cricket dot com, and then uh, you can you can read. I mean, the um, my newsletter is free, but if people can subscribe, um, it'll be delivered direct into their inbox. And um, yeah, it's um, a little bit of a little bit of everything. Some. Mostly South African focused, but um, international as well. And every now and then, I feel the inclination to share the weirdness of my world um, by showing you around yeah. the Talksport Studios right. in London. I mean, it, it, it is it is among the great crit cricket writing anywhere in the world. I, it is absolute. It's an absolute joy to read. And thank you, thank you for doing it. And I hope you don't stop. I hope it's sort of you know whatever amount of money you're able to make out of it. I hope it's enough. I mean, keep commentating also, please. But uh, please don't stop the newsletter. I absolutely love it. Manners on cricket. Um, uh, and if you didn't hear Neil giving you the details, just re-listen to the end of the end of this podcast. But Neil, thanks so much for joining me. Really, really much appreciated.
Well, thank you, Neil Manthorpe, very much for joining us. That was absolutely terrific. And thank you to you, the listener, as well, for um, tuning in to Podcasts from the Edge. Um, and I hope you'll join us next time. I must just say that since the podcast was recorded, um, I have had a call from a member of the Cricket South Africa Board, Judith February, a friend of mine, just to point out that the report uh, into uh, uh, Cricket South Africa, which did remain um, secret for a long time, has in fact been published and is on their website. Silly me, I do apologize um, to the board. And thank you, thank them very much for for uh, doing the right thing. See you here again next week. Bye bye.